So this morning we're going to do um, something new, but I don't want it to be something special. I want it to be something normal uh, that we do as we go forward, uh, as we gather uh, on Sunday mornings. This is going to be something that we come back to repeatedly. Uh, and what I'm talking about is we're going to take a Sunday and we're going to preach on biblical justice. And I want to give you an idea of what that means or what that looks like. Um, biblical justice, if you look throughout the scriptures, uh, this idea of justice in the Bible, it literally means to treat people right and without partiality. Okay, that's, that's absolutely what it means but if we think about it, it's that we have this righteousness that God has given us because our relationship with Him has been restored and He calls us to live that out horizontally. So this idea of justice, and what's so cool is in Spanish, justice and righteousness, it's the same word. But for some reason we, we've tried to divide this, right? And We can have this righteousness with God and we don't have to live it out horizontally. And so, as we walk through this, we're going to talk about that on a regular basis. And as you walk through the scriptures, you see that the focus of God's justice repeatedly is for those who are marginalized or those who are vulnerable amongst us in our society, in our culture. Over and over again, it describes not just caring for these groups, that's one thing, right? But actually taking up the cause of these groups. It's both of those things. Caring for and taking up the cause of these groups that are mentioned. And I remember seeing this in seminary for the first time. And I had never heard this growing up in the church. I had never seen this in God's Word. But it was described to me as the big four. If you read through the Old Testament, you come into the New Testament, you'll see this idea repeatedly. God talks about these four groups that fit that description. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. Again and again and again. We hear them grouped together and that's talked and connected to this idea of God's justice. And if you think about it in that time, in the biblical times, in this pre-modern uh, uh, society, they were agrarian, right? They were farmers. They worked in the fields. And their society, their culture was based on two things. It was based on family, and it was based on land. And if you didn't have land, and if you didn't have a family, then you were extremely vulnerable. As you encountered issues, as you encountered difficulties, and we've talked about it, right? Life is full of difficulties. Then you were more vulnerable. It would hit you harder, in a sense, because I'm an immigrant. I don't have family. I'm a widow. I don't have a husband. I'm an orphan. I'm not part of a family. I'm the poor. I don't have land. All of those things are connected. And so these individuals did not have the same social privilege, the same social power, or the same social security. There was no safety net. And so God spoke to us. He spoke to His people according to this and described this idea of His justice. And societies, cultures, people, as you see biblically, are actually judged, actually evaluated by 
how they treat these groups. Any lack of care, any lack of concern, or any neglect is not just a lack of compassion, it's not just a lack of mercy, it is actually a violation of God's justice. It's not that we should just do more, we should just care more. It's actually, we are violating God's justice and what He has communicated in and through His Word if we do not seek justice, particularly with these groups. And I want to be very clear. The Scripture is clear. Okay? God loves, God cares for, and God defends these individuals. Those with the least economic, those with the least social power. And the message throughout Scripture is, so should we. We should be a part of that. That's what it means to do justice. That's what it means to respond with righteousness. We're actually commanded to do justice. I want you guys to read with me Micah 6, 8. I just want to give you one example. One example. The Lord has shown you what is good. He has told you what He requires of you. You must act with justice. You must love to show mercy. And you must be humble as you live in the sight of your God. So as we've been considering in Hebrews, and as I read this, and as I study this, my desire is for us in many ways to move beyond, right, this simple teaching of Jesus Christ, that we should grow up, right, that we need to move beyond, not, not neglect, but move beyond Jesus as Savior only, and follow Him also as King. Right? It has to be both. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He is our King. And if we follow Him as Lord, He says, seek my justice. Do justice. Respond to how I've responded to you. And we're to do that in our neighborhoods. We're to do that in our world. And we're particularly with, as I've described, the most vulnerable in our community, in our society, in our culture. That's God's word to us. And so that's going to be a focus, a part of what we do on a regular basis. Because it's important and because we don't want to neglect it. We don't want to separate it. And so we're going to take this time as a family once a month to stop and to talk about something that's applicable now. Because justice is a now issue. is a living out issue. This week we're going to begin with Immigration, the immigrant, the stranger. There's many reasons to begin here. It's important right now. It is a hot topic right now. Culturally, socially, politically, legally. There's so many different things that are tied to this. And I remember first starting to study this, because no one had ever taught me about God's heart for the immigrant. And I started to walk through the Word. I'm like, there it is, in God's Word. And I'd start to talk to people and be like, look, this is what God's Word said. This is what we're going to do. And I just got push back, push back, push back. And then people's just emotions start to overwhelm about this issue. Like it becomes so sensitive about this issue. I couldn't believe the response that I would get. I'm like, but, but right here, here it is. I don't care. It just starts to well up in people. We are not slow to speak in this area about God's Word. 
And so I ask you this morning, as I pray, that we be quick to listen, not to me, quick to listen to God's Word, and that we be slow to speak. I want us to have a conversation. Okay? I want us to discuss this as a body, as a family. If we can't talk about this together, then there's nowhere else we should talk about it. Okay? This is where we should consider it together, as a family, as a body and consider our perspective. Today, we're going to focus on the humanity of immigration. All right, we're going to spend... Okay, I am so full in my heart and in my head right now. I mean, I could keep going and we go way past the 1 o'clock uh, and all of our cars will get towed, but I won't. We'll take several um, times to do this, uh, to continue on this topic uh, for the next few months. We'll talk about the humanity of immigration. We'll talk about the identity of the immigrant and of ourselves. We'll talk about the proximity of immigration. And we'll also get to and talk about the practical, the legality of immigration. Okay? We'll get there. We'll get to that place. But we need to start where God starts. And so today we're going to start with the humanity of immigration. And I want to give a little context. Migration. And actually, let me, before I go forward. I've given you guys paper and pen. If you have a question or you have a concern or something just wells up in you like, well, what about this? What about that? Or are you going to talk about this? Write it down. Okay. At the end, I want to take all of those and I will make sure as we process through this over the next few months, I will address it. Okay. Any question, I will address. I promise. But write it down. And if we need to talk about it sooner than next month, we'll talk about it. We should be discussing this together. I am available okay, to talk through this. So you've got paper, you've got pen. Write it down. Migration. What's migration? What's migration? Anybody got a definition? What's that? Moving from one end to another end? What's moving? People. Right? Individuals. Right? Individuals moving, and particularly from one place, their place of origin, to another place, another land, another country. Okay? That's what we see throughout scriptures. That's how it's described. It's people crossing borders. And I want to communicate that we have been a people on the move. Okay? From the very, very, very beginning. Okay, Genesis 1, Genesis and the creation story, right? Adam and Eve are sent out of the garden after they sin, right? They're put, they're on the move. You've got to cross the borders of this garden. Get out, move. Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis, God comes to him. He says, I'm going to take you out of this land to a land that is not your home. You're going to migrate. You're going to move. And it has not stopped. Joseph was an immigrant. The Israelites in Egypt were immigrants, okay? Ruth was an immigrant. Nehemiah was an immigrant. Ezra was an immigrant, okay? We're going to talk about all those next time. But this has been from the very beginning and it has not stopped. This is what God has been doing since creation amongst us. And what has happened, it's not a bigger issue, but the issue is bigger, okay? 
the size of the issue, the numbers of the issue, the number of immigrants in our world today, those who have moved and crossed borders, is larger than it's ever been in history. And it's continued to grow and grow and grow since that time of creation. And so I want us to start there. I want us to start with the numbers. Start with this idea of this population, this how big is this situation. So I've got some slides. You guys can follow along with me. Globally, according to the United Nations 2015 Migration Report, there are over 244 million migrants in the world today. 244 million individuals who are living in a country that was not where they were born. They have moved from their country of origin and live in a different land. Coming down a little bit, nationally. <laughs> In a survey done by the U.S. Census since the 2011 or 2010 census, there are more than 41 million immigrants living in the United States. The United States is home to more immigrants than any other single country in the world. Okay, that's the reality of our world, that's the reality of our nation. Over 41 million, 13% of our population was not born in the United States. Okay, now coming down a little bit lower. California, California has the most immigrants of any state in the United States. Okay, the United States, the most immigrants of any country in the world. California, the most immigrants of any state in our country. Over 10 million immigrants live in California right now. I'm coming even closer. Los Angeles County, three and a half million immigrants live in Los Angeles County. Okay? This county in LA, three and a half million. And so I want to give you a perspective of what that looks like. The next slide. But nationally, one out of every five immigrants in the entire world lives here in our country. In California, of our population, one out of every four individuals who live in California is an immigrant. And as you get down lower to Los Angeles, it's one out of every three. More than. One out of every three individuals that live in California are immigrants, are foreign-born. Like what, what does that do to you? As you consider those numbers, that there is no place on earth that has more immigrants than our country, our state, and our county right here. This county, in this room, and outside that door, it is the, the largest concentration of immigrants in the entire world. Do, is this important? Should we understand God's heart for the immigrant? I think without question, we have to understand God's perspective. 
as an immigrant. What's your perspective? ¿Cuál es su perspectiva? On immigrants. Sobre los What's your perspective as the, the stats call them foreign born? Think through that. What comes to your mind? I want us to look at the next slide. This question. What is the word that comes to your mind first when you think about immigrants and the U.S. today? First word that came to your mind. First word that probably came to your mind when I started talking about this. Okay? You're like, we're going we're to preach about immigrants? Yes, we're going to preach about immigrants. Okay? Ashley, will you come up? We're going to write down. Okay? This is church. Don't give me church answers. Okay? Do not lie in church. Okay? Give me the first thing that came to your mind. We're family. Let's be honest. Let's be real. No matter what your perspective, and there are so many different perspectives in this room. Okay? But what came to your mind first? Hold on, hold on, one more time. Alien, David said. Trump, I heard. And Mexican, I heard. Hold on. Border hoppers. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Thank you for being honest. <laughs> Illegal. Undocumented. Racism. Latino. Latino. Criminal. Familia. Thank you, Elvis. Anything else? Green card. Thank you, Arthur. Abuse. Soledad. So as Ashley finishes, I want to share with you the Pew Research Center, which I would recommend you guys go to the website if you want to, if you're a statistics person, if you're a numbers person, you want to see and understand the reality of our situation statistically, go there. But they did a survey in 2015 and they asked this question, by far, Okay, four and a half to five times more than any other word. The one word that was repeated over and over again, the first word was illegal. Four to five times more likely than any other word. Other words in the top ten? Overpopulation, deportation, freeloaders, and burden. That's the reality of our culture. I mean, look at the words that we put up. Okay, that, that, that reflects the world. This reflects us right here and what we said. The first words, okay? I know we can get past that and we'll start to think about some better words, right? But, but these are the first words. And I want to ask you, what has informed your perspective about immigration. Why is it that this is the word in your head? What is it that's, that's, that's put that there? What is it that gives you that perspective? Who is it? What is it? 
Because everyone, okay, we live in LA County, okay, I promise everyone here, and because you're in this room, you absolutely have seen and interacted with an immigrant. We all have an experience. You all have a perspective about immigrants. You, you cannot not have a perspective. It's the reality of our world. And so you've seen immigrants. But I want to ask you this morning, through what lens? Through what lens have you looked at and seen immigrants? Is it through social media? Is it through television and news? Is it, is it through politics? The lens that you've used? Is it relationally, through relationships that you have? Is it through others' opinions? Your friends, your family, what they've said? And maybe you've never actively considered it. Maybe you've never stopped and like, what is my perspective about immigrants and immigration? What do I think about that? And to me, that is scarier, okay, than having thought about it and having a perspective than to just never thought about it. And so all the information, all the things that come in, that's what develops my perspective, right? I'm just passively participating. This is not just a global concern. This is not just a national concern, a local concern. This is not even just a personal concern for us. This is not a political concern. Okay? This is a God concern. This is a Christian issue. And if we are followers of Christ, then we need to consider our perspective and where our perspective has been formed and what our perspective is. But we understand the immigrant according to God's word. And when we respond and seek justice according to God's word, we have to start with his word. So that's where I want to begin. Right? Today is all about beginning the conversation. And God starts this conversation in his word in creation. He starts it in Genesis 1. He starts it with humanity. Because immigration, as we talked about early, is ultimately about people. It's about people moving, people crossing borders. And individuals made in the image of God. That's where God starts. And that's where I want us to start this conversation. And as I said, we'll get to the practical, we'll get to the legality, we'll get to the political, okay? But we're going to start where God starts. With the humanity. So let's start at the beginning. We're going to read Genesis 1. Verse 27 through 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In his image. In his image. In his image. Repeatedly it states that. That God made us both male and female. He made all of us in His image. And in ancient times, they would have understood as they read this, like kings, right, that had a kingdom, they would place images of themselves throughout the kingdom. 
If you look back in history, any rulers, dictators, right? Modern rulers or dictators, right? Their image is everywhere within their country. And it's to, com it's to communicate this idea of their presence, of their power, and of their authority. Okay? And so God says, I'm creating you in my image. You're going to live in this world that I've created. And you are to represent my presence, my power, and my authority. You're going to represent the king. You have my image. God could have started with the law. He could have started with what we should do, not do. But he didn't. He says, I'm going to start here. I'm your creator. You're the created. And you have my image. Okay? That's where we begin. We're his representation on the earth. And we're more than just representing him. And we'll see we have dominion over. We're to care for the earth. But I want this to be foundational. This needs to be where we start. That we're made in his image to represent his presence, his power, and his authority. So I want to look at a few components or a few things to consider of what it means to be made in his image, particularly as we think about immigration. And the first thing is that we have this inerrant worth, this value. Because we are made in the image of God, we are valuable. Okay? We have immeasurable worth. Six syllables. I was told to slow down when I said immeasurable. This is who immigrants are. And this is what they have. They're made in the image of God, so they have a mind, they have emotions, they have a spirit, they have a will, they have a soul. They have immeasurable worth. We can't imagine how God sees us as humanity and how, how He values us, all of us, including the immigrant. They have dignity that cannot be reduced. They cannot be taken away. And Jesus came to identify with them. Jesus came to die for them. And Jesus is bringing them through suffering, through difficulty, to glory. For them. Because they're made in His image. As we are made in His image. So that's the first thing to consider. This worth and value. But there's more related to the humanity and the image of God when we consider immigration. And I think this is a point we miss a lot. We miss a lot for ourselves. Uh, the first is like this inerrant image, but now there's this, this functional image. Right? Because we're created in the image of God, there is a function that we have. Right? We're to represent Him. We have this potential. 
We have this opportunity to participate in what God has created in His story. He says, this is my story. This is my creation. And you're made in my image. And so I'm going to bring you into that story. And I don't want you just to passively participate. I want you to actively participate in my story. I want you to contribute. Immigrants made in the image of God have the potential to participate and to contribute in the story of God, in His creation. He tells us, as you look, and we read it in Genesis 1 there, He's basically saying, go forth, okay? I've made you in my image, now go forth and make culture. Go forth and multiply. Go forth and spread out. Go forth and make me known. Go forth and care for this created world that I've placed you in, which includes each other. They've not just been invited into the story, but they, as humans, have been mandated, have been commanded, as we see here in Genesis 1, just as we have, to participate, to contribute in this way. If we have this perspective, if we consider immigrants and this idea of made in the image of God, this humanity of immigrants, then it starts to change our perspective. It starts to change how we approach it, right? Immigrants are no longer a burden, but they're a resource that can benefit and bless our society, contributing to the common good in countless ways. Like, they're made in the image of God. They completely can contribute. We, we need immigrants. They're, they're made in the, they're, they're representing God. It, it should change everything. It should start to transform how we think. And the issue at this point is we can acknowledge that. We can acknowledge that's biblical, Brit. I see that in the text. I could show you in so many other places. Absolutely, I see that in the scriptures. But we need to move from acknowledgement to action, to actually respond, to do justice, right? If we understand that, if we understand this image of God that is in each other, that is in the immigrant, then we would respond accordingly. We would seek justice. And we have to move on. And so I want us, this last point, is to move on in the idea of relationships. You're like, relationships, is that biblical? Yes, absolutely. It's right here in the image of God. Because we were created in the image of God, we have and we're made for and have the capacity for relationship. We have this capacity for this relationship with God. We have a capacity for a relationship with each other. And we have a capacity for a relationship with the entire creation. God has made us relational beings so we can relate to Him, relate to each other, relate to our world, and care for the creation. That's part of the image of God. And when we're in relationship, our perspective continues to change. It becomes not theoretical, not theological, but it becomes personal, right? If we have relationships, and that changes again our perspective. Think about it with your relationship with God. At some point, your relationship with God was broken. You came into this relationship with God and you started walking with Him. In the time that you've been walking with God, has your perspective changed about anything? 
I hope it has. Okay? I hope your perspective is completely different than it was before you were in this relationship with God. And it should be the same with us. As we interact in relationships, I interact with Emmanuel different than I did 18 years ago. I interact with Jake different than I did a year and a half, two years ago. Right? Our, our relationship is changing because we've been interacting and my perspective my, has changed. It's natural. That happens in relationship. And God has said we are made in His image. He wants a relationship with us and He wants us to seek that relationship with Him and with each other. It's an amazing opportunity. But it's also an incredible responsibility. And I want to ask, do you have relationships with immigrants? Not do you know of. But do you know? Okay. Do you know deeply? Do you walk with them? Do you share life with them? Because we will not have a biblical perspective until it becomes relational, until it becomes personal. It's part of being made in the image of God. It's part of the process of developing our perspective. Okay? It's not just theological. God says, you're made in my image. Now go have those relationships. I'm going to continue to speak to you and show you. It will change your perspective. But to know someone, we have to take a position of listening. We have to take a position of a learner. If you actually want to know someone, want to hear from someone, then you need to shut your mouth and you need to listen. We prayed that before. We want to hear God's word. Shut your mouth and listen, right? Be quick to hear and slow to speak. It should be the same as we have these relationships. Tell me about your experience. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about how you you see the world. And I don't want us just to talk about this. I want us to begin to actually move to action. So wherever you are, whoever you are, and some of us, right, we, we, we run the spectrum here, okay, of immigrants, of, of, of a first generation, of 1.5s where you were brought here by your parents, but you're 1.5, right? And second generation, third generation, okay? We're in all these different places. But we need to stop and we need to listen. You have one perspective. We need to hear from each other. And so I'm going to ask Sylvia to come up. I want us to listen. I want us to be learners. Just listen and hear and process. Okay? Don't, don't move to conclusions. Just listen. Humble yourself as a learner. Okay? <laughs> Sylvia's not nervous at all. <laughs> so I'm going to ask... Um, just some questions and have Sylvia respond with answers, okay? Sylvia, where in Honduras are you from and what was your life like there? Soy de San Pedro Sula. I am from es la San capital Pedro Sula. industrial de Honduras. It's the industrial capital of Honduras. Es, para explicarlo así, son, hay muchas maquilas, fábricas de ropa. Uh, clothing industry. And so, what was good about life there, and what was difficult about life there? 
tu vida y mi vida My life. me dedicaba a estudiar en la mañana en la tarde trabajaba a David lo tuve a los 17 años. Um, I had David when I was lo difícil ahí fue que... What was hard for me. Perdón. I'm sorry. David tenía un año cuando me, sac me, sepa David, me sacaron de la casa. Mi abuela y mi tío tomaron la decisión de sacarme de la casa. David no pudo no sacar a David conmigo. Estuve tres años así. Rentaba apartamento con una amiga. I was renting an apartment with a friend. Creo que eso, eso fue lo más difícil para mí, no me tener me a David conmigo. Y cómo decidió a venirse a los Estados Unidos? En el tiempo que estuve fuera de mi casa, was, uh, tuve un novio uh, por dos años. Decidí que no quería seguir con él porque era un hombre muy celoso, muy posesivo. Me regresé a vivir so con, mi, con mi abuela y mi tío. Ya estaba con David. Ya David ya estaba en kinder. Me di cuenta de que él me estaba siguiendo, amenazándome. A medianoche iba a tocar la puerta en mi casa. Quería que regresara con él. Yo le, no quería regresar con él. Y llegó un momento que me amenazó. Que David no lo iba a volver a ver si él quería dije yo no puedo eso no es para mí que jueguen con la vida del hijo no fue cuando hablé con mi tío él tenía cinco meses de estar viviendo acá ya le dije que me quería venir para acá porque era la única solución. Allá no es de que si uno pone una demanda a una persona, te, la, la policía, la ley te va a ayudar. Te va a ayudar. No. No, no lo hacen. Así que esa fue mi decisión, venirme para acá. And so tell me about the process of so, coming from Honduras to Northern Mexico. What was that like? Tomando la decisión de que nos venía, me venía para acá con David, mi cuñado me dijo, yo me voy con usted, pero hablando, mi tío me dice, para que no pagues coyote, yo te voy a venir dirigiendo, te voy a dar hasta dónde ir, qué, qué camiones tomar y con quién comunicarse ahí para, para que te ayuden. Así llegamos, so con su ayuda de él, llegamos hasta, hasta frontera de Guatemala y México. Llegando ahí, que la, le llamo, estoy en la frontera, él me, me dice, hay cambio de planes, tienes que esperar a mi amigo, un coyote, 
y él te va a pasar hasta Estados Unidos. Estuve un mes esperándolo en Guatemala. Es, me quedé en una casa como de huéspedes donde hay mucha gente en, esa, en esos lugares. Nos quedábamos en un cuarto como unas 15, 20 personas, dormíamos en camas, otros en hamacas, en el piso, en el sofá, donde se pudiera. Ya que llegó el coyote, pues planeó el viaje, dice que para no pagar extra dinero, vamos a rodear lo que es para no pasar inmigración en México. ¿Qué es lo que hace él? Nos sube en una, bar, en una, en una lancha. Venían, venían más coyotes, más personas ahí. En la lancha suben 60 personas. Seis horas de, en la lancha. Vimos cocodrilos, hebras. El río era peligroso, el río. Mucha gente se, ahoga, se, se había ahogado ahí. Es un río muy peligroso. Llegando, después de las seis horas de viaje, donde nos bajamos, a empezar a caminar ya casi de noche, no más con luz de luna, porque sí es lo único que me acuerdo, que no traían lámparas ni nada, a caminar, a caminar, no, no les sabría decir cuánto tiempo caminamos. Muchos, muchos de los hombres que iban ahí me ayudaron a cargar a David, lloviendo hasta que llegamos a, un, a, una, a una casa ahí donde teníamos que esperar dos días a que llegara un trailer para que de ahí por decir era la frontera todavía en México llegar hasta Puebla los dos días que pasamos ahí las pasamos por decir tranquilos pero ya que llegamos a la a que nos toca subir al trailer, suben 300 personas en un trailer. 21 horas en un trailer, todos parados. Ya al final todos sofocados, sin poder dormir. Imagínense, en un lugar encerrado, ni siquiera poder comer, ni, ni hacer pipí, todos aguantándose, y había más niños. And so tell me about crossing ¿Cómo fue el proceso de venir a Estados Unidos? Llegando a Puebla, el coyote, mi tío le manda dinero al coyote para que me pase hasta, hasta me lleve hasta frontera México, Estados Unidos. Fue otro mes esperando que el coyote regresara por mí porque nomás cobró el dinero y se desapareció, nunca regresó. Me tocó esperar que mi tío mandara más dinero y buscar otro coyote. My uncle had to talk to another coyote. para que nos, nos so pasara David y a mí hasta Estados Unidos al Even fin re, recogimos el dinero y, y so pues el viaje de Puebla hasta so hasta Reynosa fue fácil Reynosa, se puede decir pues was, en dos días easier. creo que ya estábamos en Reynosa 
ya que nos entrega el, se el Señor en el que, que me llevó hasta, hasta Reynosa, nos entrega otro coyote para que ya nos pase. Me dice, vas a tener que cruzar el, a tener que cruzar el río aquí en Texas. Me dijo, ya que, ya que vamos a cruzar, el río me dijo que me quitara mi ropa nomás me quedara ropa interior en un flot me subió en un flotador David en mis piernas y él nomás nadando y pues nos cruzó el río ya, ya que estoy en tierra de Estados Unidos me, él ni siquiera se, se salió del río ni nada me dice nomás te cambias ahí atrás de los árboles que iba a pasar la patrulla por ti en ese tiempo estaban dando permisos para para personas que venían de Estados Unidos y tener una oportunidad de, de solicitar un, una residencia pero tenía yo que esperar a la inmigración todo este, todo este momento yo solo estoy con David ahí en un lugar solo no hay casa, nada y está anocheciendo pues estoy espere y espere la dichosa patrulla y justamente ese día nunca apareció la dichosa patrulla se está anocheciendo entonces dije yo voy a buscar carretera no me puedo quedar aquí con David hasta que sí caminamos caminamos se está anocheciendo encontré carretera y, no, nada no patrulla, no, no casas, nada. O sea, seguir caminando a ver hasta dónde va el Señor. Hasta que un momento pasó un señor en un carro, se paró y me dijo, te llevo una gasolinera y puedes hacer alguna llamada por el teléfono público entonces me empieza a hacer preguntas de dónde venía que por qué tan sola y de noche como un niño y cuando le explico que vengo de, de ilegal se pone el señor tan nervioso me dice te voy a dejar en la gasolinera te voy a dar 5 dólares y allí a ver qué hace porque no te puedo llevar dice, no te puedo llevar porque me voy a meter en problemas en lo que me bajo de del carro con David el señor se fue a la, se dio la fuga se, se, se fue le compré un jugo a David y un chocolate y pues dije yo pues a seguir caminando a ver hasta dónde y de la nada pues puedo decir que fue cosa del señor encontré una iglesia esa noche fui a tocar ahí en la iglesia tenía, estaba el pastor ahí a un lado de la iglesia tenía, estaba su casa de los pastores ellos me dijeron que me podía quedar ahí y tenían como un hogar de paso porque muchos se quedaban de los que iban para México venían para acá a Estados Unidos se podían quedar ahí muchas personas ahí me quedé le pude, pude hablar a mi tío de que ya había cruzado ya mi tío me mandó el dinero para pasaje para el, para el camión para venirme para acá ya estando en el camión para venirme para acá fue cuando me bajó inmigración Then immigration um, asked me, uh, found me, and and they asked me to get off the truck. 
Eh, eso fue una noche que ellos me agarraron toda esa noche so, me tuvieron encerrada haciéndome preguntas que porque solo para que me dieran el permiso tenía yo que comprobar so que David era mi hijo no me creían que David era mi hijo tuvieron toda la noche haciendo preguntas eh, no a David también le estaban haciendo preguntas, hasta llamaron a mi tío hasta que se convencieron de que si sí era mi hijo, entonces sí me dieron el permiso para lograr pasar acá. Llegué, llegué aquí a Los Ángeles el 23 de diciembre del 2005. Fueron más de dos meses de viaje. It took me two to Nunca me presenté a, a la corte porque me dieron solo tres meses para poderme presentar y la, la cita la tenía en San Francisco. No pude juntar dinero. And so maybe the biggest question. Why Canoga Park? Why Lanark? Por Daniel. I came here because of Daniel. Por él. Por Daniel. And then, um, what has life been like here? So and what's how, how, good about your life how, here? And what's difficult acá? about your life here? ¿Cómo es tu vida acá? ¿Qué es las, ¿Cuáles son los desafíos acá? En Canoga Park. En ese momento. Lo complicado para mí fue con David, el cuidado de David. Fue, fue lo más difícil. Me encontrar a alguien que realmente en un lugar donde no conozco. Tenerle la confianza a alguien de entregarle. Pues ahora lo bueno de todo esto, tengo familia ahora establecida con Daniel y tengo una relación con él. So I just want us to process. I want us to just think through that. To learn from that. And we have that opportunity to learn from each other, to hear from each other. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. If you look at the New Testament, And, and you look at 1 Peter specifically in chapter 2 God says I urge you the church as sojourners as strangers as immigrants and exiles right it's a metaphor that God uses for the Christian life to follow Jesus to be here is to be an immigrant and I would tell you that the more that you understand, the better that you understand what it means to be an immigrant, the better you understand and the more you understand how to follow Jesus Christ. It says we're to be strangers here. Okay? Our, we have a different king, right? We have a different family. We do these different things. We're strange. We're odd. We speak a different language with each other. 
Right? All these different things. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be strangers here. This is not our home. But the issue is, is that we sort of like the strangeness. We've enjoyed the strangeness. We, we're, we're, uh, it's comfortable being strange here. And we're no longer strange. And we call them the strangers. We have to listen so we can learn. We have to listen to each other so we can learn to follow Jesus Christ. It's that important. It's that significant. Okay? We are made in the image of God. We have unbelievable value and worth. We have immeasurable opportunity to contribute to the story of God, to what God is doing. And we're made for relationships. That's the perspective I want us to have as we begin to consider biblically, as we begin to consider God's perspective about the immigrant. Thank you, Sylvia. Um, I have given you the pages. You want to write something? You've got questions? You want to continue to talk? Write it down. We'll continue the conversation. We don't stop here. We just start here. But I don't want us to go any further. Right? We need to consider this and process this. And we'll continue to do that as a family. And so, um, what I'd like to do is, let me pray for Sylvia. Uh, I just, Sylvia was <laughs> the first person that my family met when we walked on Leonard. And I think about how God has used her. In my life. In my family's life. In, in our life as a church. There's been no one in Lanark that has welcomed me more. That has been more hospitable to me. That I came in as a stranger. And she welcomed me. She welcomed my family. Last Sunday I'm sitting at her table. It's the best moment of my week. David and I are watching the Falcons win a playoff game. Okay? Which doesn't happen all that often. And Sylvia says, Come and sit down. It's time to eat. I said, I can't eat. What, what about Nida when I go home? and I, I'm going to get in trouble. Okay, I'm going to eat. And I got to have her food. And I got to have, if you haven't had this amazing yellow sauce that she puts on, anything she puts it on, it's good. And so there I am, and she is caring for me, and I'm with her family, and I'm watching this game, and I am welcomed in her home, and I have this relationship, and it has changed me. It has transformed me, my walk, how I see that it is to follow Jesus Christ. She inspires me. I learn from her. I need her. We need each other. We need 
immigrants, we need to hear that, right? For, for many of us, this idea of being an immigrant, it's a metaphor, okay? For others amongst us, it is life. It is what we've experienced. Listen to her story. There are so many stories like that amongst us and around us. And we need to listen and we need to learn from them as we continue to have a perspective of God on the immigrant, a biblical perspective. So let me pray for Sylvia and then um, the worship team can come up. Father God, I thank you so much for Sylvia, for David, for her family. God, to hear her story is overwhelming. Lord, just as we've been talking about in Hebrews, this, this need to continue, this need not to stop, this need to continue by faith and what her life, her story demonstrates of her willingness to continue and how you have met her and you have shown yourself to her and she is continuing by faith and that she is an example to us and that she can teach us and that we can learn from her and we can learn from others, Lord. I thank you for her life. I thank you for what you are doing and in through her that you would call her to yourself and that you would walk with her, Lord, and that through this you are bringing her to glory. Lord, and I thank you that as a family that we get to be with her, that we get to be with each other, that have these different stories, and we get to learn from each other, and we get to know you more as we learn from each other. God, help us to seek justice, Lord. Help us to live out this righteousness that you've given us. Help us to live that out in our relationships. Help us to live that out even in Sylvia's life. God, would you make us a people that are quick to listen, that are slow to speak. God, would you give us a desire to want to know and be and understand your perspective. Give us your heart, God. Thank you so much for her willingness to share us. Thank you so much for her courage to speak and her humility before us. And I pray that you would bless her and watch over her. Thank you for the privilege to walk with you and to walk with each other. And this is in Jesus' name. Amen. En el nombre de Jesús.